This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. My job is to get inside this guy's head and to create some sort of a dialogue that maybe allows us to understand what goes on in that head so that we can prevent other people from becoming victims. You know, and that's the goal of it. So it is, you never move past it. And I'm not equating with interviewing a predator with, you know, surviving a relative or a loved one's murder. It's, it's a different thing. Sure. But you just learn how to live with it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself. And it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Oh, I'm in a good mood because you know why? I have an extra special guest for you guys today. Somebody who I have admired for years and I've wanted to sit down. I've wanted to take a seat with, but not on that level. But you know what I mean? I've wanted to sit down and pick this man's brain for such a long time. I am so excited to have him on the program. But first, I want to thank all of you for every week tuning into my new episodes, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts from, or watching me on YouTube where you can click like and subscribe to my channel. Um, I really appreciate your support. And an extra special thank you to those of you who are supporting me on my Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash Landry. Your contributions help support this program and help me bring amazing interviews like I am today with exclusive people in the true crime world and people that I think really have a great, amazing story to tell. I'm so humbled by your support and all the DMs that I get from you guys reaching out and really thanking me for the content uh, and, and asking questions and engaging with me on my IG lives, which are every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I'm just stoked to, to have your feedback um, because at the end of the day, I wanna provide content that you guys feel is engaging to, to you. I have a special DM that I want to read today from Laura Fenner. She is on Instagram and she reaches out and says, Collier, just watched a murder in Mansfield. So incredibly moved by your story. You are such an emotionally intelligent, well thought, warm, kind person. Even when your dad is verbally abusing you in, in his letters, after all the trauma you suffered, you still managed to remain calm, measured, and articulate. I just wanted to reach through the screen and give you a big hug. Your whole demeanor and earnestness is endearing. I hope you are very proud of the person you are, accepting that you're not going to get what you crave from somebody who is insanely difficult, but also a huge release. You can't go to a DIY store and expect to get a loaf of bread from there, just like you can't go to a psychopath and sociopath and expect truth, 
compassion, and empathy. I wish you all the happiness and success in the future. Thank you, Laura Fenner, for reaching out. That is is really wonderful to hear. I'm so glad when you guys see you know my film, A Murder Mansfield, or you hear the podcast and it moves you, and you guys uh, want to give me a big hug. I appreciate that. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, um, your support, just sending me messages, makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing, and I'm and I'm and I'm contributing that little you know that little bit to society that I've always wanted to do, and and really spreading the message and helping you guys move through your own personal trauma by sharing my personal experiences, whether it be through my father's letters from prison or through my film or just my kind of general observations of someone who's a survivor in this true crime world that didn't really ask for it, you know? So anyways, today's episode features a 10 time Emmy award winning journalist and television personality. He is most famous for his uh, show to catch a predator, which has been on for God, 18 years now running. Uh, and he has a new podcast called predators. I've caught. Um, so I am so pleased to welcome this man to my program and I'm ready to take a seat with him. Please welcome Chris Hansen. So you had to catch a predator, which is how I know and love you and your work on that. Um, you know, you were just saying 18 years on, it's the same story. How do you sort of reconcile with that as far as seeing the same thing over and over again? Well, Collier, imagine this. I mean, when we first started doing the predator investigations, we merely had decoys from uh, an online watchdog group called Perverted Justice in chat rooms on AOL and Yahoo. That was it. I mean, that was our only means of putting somebody out there to see if, in fact, an adult would hit upon them, a predator. Uh, and try to create a liaison for sex. Well, today, 18 years after that very first investigation, the amount of social media platforms upon which a potential predator can approach a child has exploded. I mean, we're, I can't even keep up with them. It's not just, you know, uh, Tinder and Snapchat and, you know, all these different hookup type uh, applications, but there, there are so many others, and it's the interactive games, and we had a case just uh, a few weeks ago where a 12-year-old uh, was approached on Instagram, <laughs> and the predator set up a date and met her, sexually assaulted her, and it turns out this is just one of at least three victims that we know, and this is Instagram where you think your kids are safe, and yeah. during the pandemic, you know, more kids are have been online more than ever before. And the, the number of reports of inappropriate approaches between adults and children has skyrocketed, uh, you know, according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which all these social media platforms, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, Twitter, they all have to uh, mandatory reporting. They all have to mandatorily report these things to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So. You know, it, it's out there. The technology has changed, and it's difficult for the investigators uh, and for our teams to to keep up with it. Because you're you're you started in radio, if I'm correct. Is that is that right? Long time ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously you come to you came to the show as a journalist with that sort of background. I said, you know, it's like one of the things that I think about with you is, you know, when you go when you're a war journalist you know, or you're a photographer like a David Burnett, you know, and you're like, who's very, very famous for Vietnam War photography. And you know that you go into these situations and you know what's going to happen, but it doesn't make it any less traumatic or any less more impactful on you. 
And well, I guess, you know, this no, show is called it, Moving Past Murder. So I'm curious how that affects you and how you move past sort of the same thing. Well, you, you don't really ever move past it. I mean, you know, before I jumped on with you, I was doing, you know, my podcast, Predators Are Caught, with Chris Hansen. And, and in that show, we go back over cases that, that we've already done. Yeah. There are four or 500 of them. And so I, because during the investigation, you know, we have background on the guy and we have some information and, you know, I'm in the moment, uh, but I don't have the chance to really immerse myself in it because it happens so quickly. You know, we're, we're taking people inside the commission of a felony, basically. And so you have to react and you have to be at your, at your best. But the podcast and going back over these things and, and just immersing myself in the transcripts, in the interviews, in the police interviews after I do the interview with the Predator, it brings you right back into that moment. And <clears throat> it's a very strange experience because, it, it, you know, you don't feel the trauma of it as you're doing it, you're just doing it. But when you go back over and relive it, it, get, it takes it to a different level. Um, and it, it's just as intense, if not more so, going back through the material years after the fact uh, than it was when you were actually doing it. At the time, you know, you're looking at the guy's hands, are they in his pocket, is there a threat? Even though I'm surrounded by security and there's law enforcement there, you know, you, you're, on your, you're on your tippy toes sure. uh, paying attention and trying to figure out, okay, if I ask this, what does that say, what does he say? And, you know, anybody can jump out of a back room and scare the hell out of somebody and create 10 seconds of dramatic television. You know, my job is to get inside this guy's head and to create some sort of a dialogue that maybe allows us to understand what goes on in that head so that we can prevent other people from becoming victims. You know, and that's the goal of it. So it is, you never move past it. And I'm not equating with interviewing a predator with, you know, surviving a relative or a loved one's murder. It's, it's a different thing. Sure. But you just learn how to live with it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you do. Um, you know, I first saw the show on YouTube in like reruns that people would record and play. And you guys were in Petaluma mostly at that time. And it right. was like tech guys. And they were mostly from like Bangladesh or, or India. It, it felt like, I mean, there were some white individuals, but it felt like there was in the area, there was a lot of tech people that were coming over. And I just remember watching it. And then I remember seeing the repeaters, the people that you've, you know, you're very famous for having the line. Take a seat. <laughs> Have a seat. Right, you know, exactly. and, and it's just well, like how many times do people wanna do people wanna hear that? And I think that when you don't understand it, when pe people are just like, Oh, what creeps, oh what oh what oh the savages or what whatever you want to say about them. And yes, they are, but also there has to be a very severe degree of mental illness. I mean, what do you think? Well, I think in some cases it's it's that. I, I think they break down into, you know, in my experience, and I'm not a therapist, but sure. you know, in dealing with hundreds of these guys over the years, I, in my experience, they break down into three different categories. There's the hardcore heavy hitter, you know, the true pedophile predator who would be doing this with or without the internet. You know, the guy would be at the movie theater, the bad little league coach, the bad Cub Scout master, you know, something along those lines. Those guys, they can't be fixed. They're going to do this no matter what. And whether they're wired that way or whether it's the result of you know, some traumatic childhood experience, whatever it is, they're not going to get over it. And then you've got this younger group of guys who are late teens, early 20s, 
um, it's illegal what they're doing, it's wrong, you can damage a child for life. But they look at it as a Romeo-Juliet situation. If it works out in a couple of years, it won't be illegal. And those are the guys who can be intercepted, I think, in some cases, and, and um, reformed, helped out, and can be monitored and counseled and get some therapy and never offend again. And then you've got this interesting group in the middle, these guys who <clears throat> are predisposed to having a sexual attraction relationship with a underage boy or girl, but they wouldn't do anything about it. They wouldn't act on it without the internet, the addictive nature, the 24-7 access, and the anonymity. They start saying things online that they wouldn't say face-to-face. -face. And suddenly, through the course of this conversation and this, this urge that they either choose not to control or don't control or can't control, they cross that line between fantasy and reality, and they're knocking on our door, and, and they show up. And we see a lot of that. And to me, that's the most vexing in the most interesting category here because, you know, can you fix somebody like that? Do you have to lock them up? Is there a combination of treatment and punishment that works? And I don't have that answer and I don't know that anybody does. It's interesting you brought up earlier the video games and all of that because there's some things you just never, you yeah. never, you think it's, you know, and especially you think back to the pandemic. I mean, and I believe you were saying this on Flagrant too, but, and I'm sure you've said it ad nauseum over the last two years, but the pandemic seemed to really uh really enhance these predatory situations because people are locked well, there, up there's more opportunity it, you know it, there's more opportunity people are are locked up people have more time to do both good and bad things and you know when you talk about statistics you know you've got to trust what the national center for missing and exploited children does and says in the records it keeps because that's really kind of the gold standard and because there is mandatory reporting on the part of all these social media platforms, it's a pretty accurate reflection of what's going on. Um, that doesn't mean it's information that can lead to catching somebody. It can, but it gives you a kind of an aggregate view of what's happening. And, and the, the numbers during the pandemic were staggering, you know, and, and I don't see the, the problem going away anytime soon. And as we continue to develop these, you know, interactive apps, and social media platforms, it, it's and if we go end-to-end -end encryption, that's going to be even more difficult yeah. to, to track some of this. So it it really comes down to, you know, the conversation you start at home with your children, uh, or your nieces or your nephews. You know, you got to start at an age-appropriate level and say, look, there are people out there who want to trick you, grown-ups. Kids don't like to be tricked, and then as they get older. And as their experience online expands, you have to, you know, have a more explicit and, and detailed conversation about the safety. Because, look, if you talk about the drug problem, Collier, you know, we can talk about demand reduction, sure, treatment, um, whether we treat it as a felony or whether we treat it as a disease. And you can have a similar conversation with, uh, you know, online predatory behavior, but there isn't the the body of treatment available. Well, it's the almost the same thing. Treatment. You're dealing with an addiction. Well, it is, except, except you know, you, you, there are addiction specialists all up and down Park Avenue here in New York. Um, there are people who go into medicine to, to practice all kinds of different areas. But the, the practice of studying um, predators and, and 
sexual predatory behavior, it's not a popular place. I mean, you've got some of very dedicated yeah. psychiatrists who go into federal prisons and deal with these guys. And their base of work is very important and, and very telling. But, you know, there's not enough of it. And, and it's easy to understand why. But that's, you know, that's that's one of the issues here. Um, and that's, you know, we don't have a good handle on how to fix it. And we want easy answers in our, in our society. We want, of course, you know, the punishment that works. We want the treatment that works. And, and it's it's not that easy. And so fortunately, there are some very dedicated, bright people working in this field. And, you know, I plan on having some of them on the podcast in the, in the episodes to come to kind of talk about this, to, to keep this dialogue going. Because I think at the end of the day, what these investigations have done, whether it's the predator investigations or any of the other things that we've done, um, it, they create a dialogue and awareness that didn't exist before. And I think as, you know, journalists and filmmakers in your case, it's, you know, that's our job. That's what we do. I mean, the whole reason I, I'm even in Hollywood, I went to school for music at Ohio University and then I went right. to Oberlin and I, you know, I dropped out because I didn't want to be a music teacher and I didn't, I wanted to be a performer and I came out to LA, but I really wanted to come out to tell my story and that's how I ended up getting into filmmaking. But, you know, so that sort of passion really drove me to do that, um, how did you get in? How did specifically did you get into Catch a Predator? You're a journal. I mean, what was your journalistic background leading into that? I mean, did you have you know? Are you know? I have that personal experience of me just like you know. I was very obsessed with it like becomes your passion. Yeah, and, and you know, I always felt like you know when I pitched the documentary, it was originally going to be a television series, and I said, look, I'm fascinated the fact that we bad guy goes to jail, victim is dead, state gets his restitution, gavel hits, we go next, we never examine the consequences of violence. And the repercussions and ramifications, because at that time, nobody was. Now it's very cool and very hip to be woke or whatever you want to call it, to be very into this. Oh, what happens? What are the implications? Now we're talking about these things. That wasn't in fashion 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you know? And I think it's just what you said, you know, we want a quick answer. We want a quick fix, you know? Oh, they're a drug addict. Move on. Or, oh, they're a sex addict. Move on. It's a lot. It goes a lot more. It goes a lot deeper than that. But that drove me so where did you come into this? Uh, like specifically, was well, there something that happened? I, you know, or? I had been, yeah, I mean, I had been, you know, doing investigative and crime reporting for, for years. I've been doing this for 40 years. So I had been at Dateline and, and doing a lot of different stories. I mean, you know, the predator work is 10% of my portfolio, you know, but it just happens to be what has become iconic and so sure. interesting and a part of pop culture like nothing else I've ever done. I always say, you know, I've won 10 Emmys. None of them are for Predator. They're all for other investigative yeah. reporting. Uh, but no other body of work has been parodied on South Park and, you know, other places. And so it, you know, it, it looks. So you take that and you you use it for all the good it has and embrace it. You know, you've arrived essentially, in South Yeah, I know. Well, I always tell the story. You know, my <clears throat> two older boys went to high school in Connecticut and, you know, Having a dad on TV was no big deal because, you know, they went to school with kids whose dads were captains of industry and sports figures and everything else. But when South Park did a Chris Hansen Predator parody, suddenly I was the coolest dad, you know. But, um, you know, I, 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 it, was, it was never meant to be its own series. It was pitched. I pitched it after I became aware of um, the online watchdog group Perverted Justice as, you know, just a segment on Dateline. And yeah. When I saw the work that Perverted Justice was doing, I figured if we could use their decoys, their ability to 
uh, be decoys posing as children in chat rooms and our ability to wire a house with hidden cameras and microphones, the result could be pretty compelling. So I pitched it and, and the you know management bought into it and Rest smart history. people weighed in to make it better. And yeah, and, and so we did it in Long Island in, in, in 18 years ago. And I was driving out there and, and I was thinking, you know, what if nobody shows up? What if I've just wasted tens of thousands of dollars of the network's money? And with that, you know, my producer calls and said, where the hell are you? We've got two guys, you know, scheduled to show up in 45 minutes. And in the next two and a half days, we had 17 guys surface in that investigation, including a New York City firefighter. And I thought, wow. And I, you know, went by so fast, but I was just stunned. And we talked about how the story should go and what it was going to look like. And, and we had all the stuff. I mean, it was very compelling. It's like nothing we've ever seen or done before. And I had done a lot of hidden camera work over the years, but nothing, nothing where we took the viewer inside the commission of a felony, where there was a confrontation. And remember, in those first couple uh, investigations, we didn't collaborate with law enforcement. It was just us. And law enforcement would sometimes go in and be able to make a case after the fact. But it, it wasn't until the third investigation that we actually uh, collaborated with law enforcement because it was the socially responsible thing to do. And, it, and from a, a television production standpoint, it was unfulfilling, you know, to see these guys leave and just be, you know, twirling their umbrella in the wind as they left a home after trying to rape a child, essentially. So, um, you know, we, we moved on and, you know, we've adapted it over the over the years and, and um, you know it's become what it is and again you know we're on our third version of it basically that we're shooting right now it, you know I mean it's amazing and it's disheartening at the same time yeah because it just keeps happening and I even think you know you said okay so 18 years ago it's what 2004 and I leave it like yeah I don't, I, I barely remember really using the internet at that time. I Google, you know, Yahoo, that type of thing. But mm -hmm. obviously chat rooms is where a lot of this started built to bulletin board systems and things. I suppose it's just, yeah, it was chat rooms in, on AOL and Yahoo. And then, you know, over the years now it's, uh, you know, everything from Tinder grinder to, you know, Snapchat to TikTok to, um, you know, any other social media platform where people meet each other and converse instagram the the the, the uh, video games interactive video games a lot of it goes on there and now there's discord and yeah you know, a lot of areas where it's it's difficult to to monitor and so it's it's so ubiquitous that it's hard even to i mean we have the the figures as i mentioned from the uh NICMEC, the national center for missing and exploited children but you know, it's so ubiquitous that it's really hard to get a number on it. People always ask, you know, how many predators are out there on the internet at any given time? We don't know is the yeah. best answer. I mean, you can you can you can try to extrapolate it, and we've tried to do that. And you know, there's a lot. That's the answer. And you know, the danger is real. So you have to you have to create this awareness, and you have to create this discussion, this dialogue at home. And that's the best way, I think, in my experience, to protect kids, which is. You know, if you don't know somebody in real life, then you don't know them online. And, you know, when I was growing up, parents told their kids, don't talk to strangers. Good advice then, good advice today. But the problem is <clears throat> some of these predators, and I read the transcripts all the time, they're so adept at grooming that the guy who's a stranger on Wednesday is no longer a stranger yeah, yeah. Uh, on Friday or Saturday. It's 
you know, my father, you know, he's obviously in prison for murdering my mother, which I witnessed. And right. he's you know, still incarcerated to this day because of my testimony and me not letting him get away with it. Well, one of the things that I never knew and see when I was when all this went down, you know, I was abandoned by both sides of my family and I went into the foster care system. And I uh, don't know why my phone rang. It's turned off. Um, I uh, I went into the foster care system, and I didn't um, I didn't have anybody to, to. My mother's side of the family didn't want anything to do with me. My father's side of the family didn't want to do anything with me because you know you put your father in prison, you're going to put your father in prison. Blah blah blah. What I didn't know is that my mother's side of the family hated me so much because of how I looked, because they felt that because I was male and tall that I looked like my father, even though I looked like my mother. But my father had molested my two cousins a year and a half before he murdered my mother. They were both girls. He was a doctor. He molested them under the guise of physicals. And he, uh, he, was, he was going to be arrested for that. And the girls were so broken up over it that they couldn't bring themselves to really testify at a trial. And they, they couldn't arrest him for it. And one of the things that the investigator that I was working with had said, you know, the Baltimore Police Department said, look, you know, there's no there's no way this guy didn't kill his wife and get him for us because he's a you know, he's a piece of shit. And it's it's, you know, when you so there he is as a predator in that sense. And then it obviously goes to the extreme, which is murdering my mother. Do you feel like when you when you see these people? I mean, it's interesting you said the Romeo and Juliet syndrome. And look, man, I'm from Ohio. You're from Michigan, but I'm closer to Kentucky. We all know that we all know these stories of these people who get married to you know underage girls and or, or guys, and it does happen. But this Romeo and Juliet sort of thing—that's a whole other way of looking at it. Like they almost feel like they're the saviors, or they're they got this god complex. I think even with my father, obviously, it's a it's a control thing and, you know, coercive control. And then you have with these people, they think they're saving, they romanticize it. And it just becomes so difficult to see. Um, well, it's the, uh, also, it's the justification of it. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, how they justify it in their mind to go there in the first place. And then the justification they try to use when I confront them and we still get guys up until this and including this latest investigation just weeks ago where you know the guy says well I had gone on this site because I knew troubled girls were there and I just came over to help her to put her on a straight narrow path and to be with her until her parents got home and it's like you know do you think that's the first time I've ever heard that excuse (laughs) it's not was, you know, for, for 18 years now, I've heard it. But, the, and you see it in the text, in the, in, the, in the transcripts or the chats. You know, it's the same grooming, the same talk. It's, it's like they go to a website to get, you know, help on how to do this, how to Predator 101. It's, it's a for it's, dummies uh, book. It's, it's stunning. Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Predator for dummies. You know, there was, so I, you know, I remember that the show originally was was it canceled or did you guys kind of shut down for a while because there was a district attorney is that correct in new york that had- there was an assistant district attorney who uh committed suicide after um the police went to go try to arrest him but that didn't have anything to do with the show we went on did multiple episodes afterwards but 
Uh, in fact, the next episode of, of my podcast deals with that particular case. Oh, wow. Conrad. And what had happened was <clears throat> not only did they find child porn on his computer, and he knew that was coming and he was going to have to face the music for that, he was going to face the charges of the online solicitation. He never showed up in this sting operation, but the crime takes place online. And he had the child porn. And then it turns out, which is something we reveal in the next episode of my podcast, that on that computer was also evidence and information that led to criminal charges against Conrad's boss, the actual DA, for embezzlement and financial wrongdoing. And this is the guy who came out strong uh, against the Murphy, Texas Police Department for, you know, arresting him at his house. And that was a courtesy, actually, um, because, you know, they could have made a big scene at his office Monday morning, but they decided to take him, um, and, you know, th what they thought was in a quiet, responsible way at his home. But we went on to do multiple investigations after that. I think partly what happened at NBC was <clears throat> the investigations became very expensive. I think the network was ready to have me do some other work at the time. And I think they also found that they could expand the material we had, the library of predator material, into different versions and run them on MSNBC and people would continue to watch and we'd update them and follow the cases through the court system. And it was very popular for many years. And then, <clears throat> A few years back, we did another version called Hanson versus Predator, which aired on Crime Watch Daily, a syndicated show I did. And now we've got Takedown with Chris Hansen, which is the new Predator um, uh, episodes that we have coming out. Uh, we're going to put out one episode on the YouTube channel, Have a Seat with Chris Hansen, in the next week or so. But it's going to go exclusively on our new um, crime streaming platform called True Blue, which is going to launch in November. So they'll all be there. You know, it's, it's, it's wild. You said, you know, you've got 10, 10 Emmys <laughs> and the work that you, and that you've done, you know, is probably, even though this seems to have a, a very broad impact, but I, and you has all the work, has the work that you were, that you won the Emmys for, was that for also true crime based material? Yeah, it was investigative uh, crime, breaking news, crime, uh, mm -hmm. investigative stuff. I'll give you an example. We went to. Cambodia and uh, infiltrated brothels, essentially selling children as young as five and six years old to um, Westerners for, for sex. And uh, we collaborated with an NGO called International Justice Mission, and we posed as sex tourists and went into these brothels and captured um, very compelling hidden camera video. And um, we then were part of a raid where 37 girls were rescued. We did the whole story and, and we confronted Americans who had gone over there for um, uh, sex tourism. And then we followed up a few years later with the, some of the rescued girls and their lives. And so it became this very compelling uh, narrative of what goes on over there, who takes part in it. And we were uh, once again able to take people to a place they wouldn't normally get to see and hear things they wouldn't normally get to hear. And, you know, that becomes very compelling information. And it led to, you know, the U.S. government taking a different, more aggressive stance towards sex tourism. Colin Powell was interviewed for the piece and he, he it was a topic near and dear to his heart. So we had the, the attention of the U.S. government and 
the Canadian government saw it, and based upon the video that uh, we had of the brothels, they were able to match up video found in the trunk of a guy who beat up a sex worker in Vancouver, and they linked him to going over to the same brothel, and then were able to charge him on a seven-year felony with, you know, sex tourism, essentially. So it was like this, this one story, this one hour of television kept making significant change worldwide. And it's amazing, you know, that's though, the right? sort of thing that's, you know, it's expensive, it's dangerous, and it's time consuming to do. So you can't, it's not something you can do every week. But when you get the opportunity, you know, to affect change like that, and to take people into that world as dark as it may be, I think it's important to do. And, and I've been very fortunate over the years and continue to be today to, you know, have supporters who allow me to do that work. That's incredible. I mean, as somebody who does this, who got into that to affect change, to change the conversation, to speak out. Uh, I mean, I just, I really admire you, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I admire your work too. I mean, that's hard oh, to do. It's you. hard to dig into the, you know, the murder of your mother committed by your father and, and you know, pour all that out on, on a, in a documentary. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy to do, but you know, look, if it was easy, everybody could do it, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of work we do that's <clears throat> very interesting to viewers and listeners, and we do that work, and and it allows us to to you know do the big picture um, tentpole events that we do, and um, you know when you get the opportunity to do that, and you know it's something I did even in local news, um, you know I'd cover whatever story happened that day, and I find a passion project and I chip away, chip away, chip away. And, you know, you get four of those a year and suddenly you're making a difference in people's lives. And again, you take people to a place they wouldn't normally get to go. And it's the impact. It's the, you know, yeah, it's just, it's, well, it's knowing I, what's going to get, it. it's also, you get a sense over the year, you know, I've been doing this 40 years. Sure. You know, I first got interested in journalism when I was 15, when Jimmy Hoffa was kidnapped a mile and a half from my childhood home. And, you know, I kind of got yeah. bit by the bug then and went off to school and studied at college and was fortunate enough to get right into radio and ultimately television before I even graduated from Michigan State. And, and so, I, you know, I had a good jump on it and, um, you know, was allowed the, the flexibility, the, the latitude to, you know, crop sources and to take a day here and there and to, you know, immerse myself in different topics. And, and you know, if you bring home the bacon you know, eight times out of 10, they, they tend to give you a little longer leash and a little longer leash. And, you know, you use that for, for good. Sure. Um, yeah. And then you can sort of, you can you know, do what you want and, and, yeah. and really I mean, that's, do the, that's things the goal, that matter really. most. I mean, to explore whatever topics you want to explore. Now you said you had two boys, you have what, three kids or? I have two sons. And uh, then I have a stepdaughter and a stepson. And um, so the kids the are in the business, are right? In college. My oh, older yeah, two right. are in the business. So my, my oldest lives in Brooklyn, and he's uh, he's a um, uh, production associate and assistant cameraman and, and uh, grip, and he works on films and commercials and crime shows. He's worked with me on some stuff. He shot a Predator show with me, but he's got his own gig going on. And you know, these guys very involved in a lot of different things and they have these you know networks of, of guys and gals who work in television film and and they stay very busy and uh, he's doing a great job and then my second son is a is a television reporter for the Fox station in Orlando 
and it's his uh, his third market. He's moving his way up and doing very well, and it's 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 fun to see. You know, we we have a morning call every once in a while where we criticize each other's hard work and <laughs> <laughs> see if we can't help each other out once in a while. Well, I'm a 600 DP, so I uh, I appreciate all my camera guys for sure. And I oh, did yeah, live in Orlando yeah. for a year. Sure. <laughs> A lot of news uh, in Florida. Orlando's become a big town now. It's uh, there's there's something, something going every day, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a, it's not a always good town. either. No, no, but it's you know I, I remember years ago, I was a reporter in Tampa, uh, where I went after I was in Lansing, and um, you know any any market in Florida, I mean you're going to get Florida stuff, and it's 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 <laughs> it keeps a reporter busy, you know. There's a lot going on down there. There's a lot going on in Ohio, yeah. too, sadly. Mm-hmm. Well, everywhere. Um, there's always, I mean. And you're a Spartan. Yep. And Class of know, 81. Nice. Nice. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, there's that dark cloud that hangs over with, with, with Larry Nazar. Nasser. Oh, Nasser. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a horrible situation. And it, and it highlights, you know, the responsibility of, you know, the university of journalists, of, um, you know, anybody who's supposed to be keeping an eye out and protecting, you know, our students and our athletes, you know, the, there was that horrible incident at Michigan state and, um, my heart goes out to those young women, those survivors who, who were first traumatized and then traumatized yeah. again because law enforcement didn't immediately pick up on it. And it, it took a while before <clears throat> those cases were taken seriously the way they should have been. And, and finally, you know, he was brought to justice. There was another case at, uh, at Michigan, they had a physician. There was one recently at UCLA. I mean, it, it's out there. And, you know, too many times historically, universities have been dismissive. Penn State, for instance, yeah. um, with Sandusky uh, for too long. And people who are involved in athletics got a pass. And in the Michigan State case, horrifyingly, you know, this guy was so arrogant, such a narcissist and such a predator that he, you know, thought he could get away with it and even did get away with it because he he scared these young girls into silence. Some of this stuff happened with parents on the other side of a screen. I mean, imagine the shock and horror and the guilt and the, the horrible, you know, aftermath of that. And all because and it's not the parents' fault. It's not the girls' fault. It's... Nasser's fault, first and foremost, for being an evil human being. And then, yeah. you know, the university's got to keep an eye out. And I'm a big Michigan State booster. You know, I know some of the people who lost their jobs over that deal. And you can justify it any way you want and say, well, so, so-and-so was paying more attention to basketball and football than gymnastics. But that's your job at the end of the day, you know. And if you're not keeping an eye on it, you better damn well have somebody who is. Um, and so, you know, heads roll because of that. There's a lot of liability there. So what I'm curious of is, so you mentioned this and then you said the parents on the other side of the screens, and this is, you know, it's like when you watch something like the Michael Jackson documentary, right? Mm-hmm. And you see, and you think like, for example, a Jeffrey Epstein, right? And you see the sort of the allure of whatever's happening whether it be athletics, whether it be stardom, whether it be money. How, fame. Fame, exactly. You know, do you feel that almost there's a willing participation 
sometimes where people sort of turn a blind eye to it when they should be maybe protecting their children or well, absolutely their... I, th I think i think it's it's you know in some sense uh, a corruption you know it's people are swayed by fame and fortune and, and um you know in some cases that's allowed you know lapses in judgment that uh, have put kids in precarious and dangerous situations and um yeah i think that's a big part of it um and you have to be watchful as a parent, whether it's online or whether it's, you know, who your kids are hanging out with. And I think, I think fame corrupts and power corrupts. And, you know, if you're not, if you let yourself get caught up in that, I mean, we see it now. And, and one of the things that we're getting ready to report on are all these parents who are promoting their children on YouTube and TikTok and they're being taken advantage of by uh, people online. And, and some of these kids are being essentially pimped out by their own parents because they're making money, you know, on YouTube. Um, and, and, you know, we saw all too well, not, not this is an example of parents not doing the right thing, but uh, there was a case in uh, Naples, Florida, where a girl had a, you know, reasonably uh, done TikTok presence and there was a stalker, and the guy showed up at the door with a shotgun, blasted the door open because he was obsessed with this teen girl. And had the dad not been an ex-cop who had a gun and shot him, I mean, he could have killed the whole family. And and you know, but it highlights you know what 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 the potential danger is out there, and you have to be careful who you know your kids are exposed to. And th there are other examples. You know, you see some of these sharents or these people who are you know, promoting their children on social media sites and exploiting their children on social media sites or adopting multiple children so they can have a presence on YouTube. And it's, it's shocking what people will do to make money with their parents. You know, and that, that's a shocking part of it. You know, it's uh, money is the root of all evil, as they say. Yeah, in some cases, that's true. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, it feels almost like, you know, you dive down the rabbit hole so far with these things. And then, how, you know, it's just like, a, you know, a cop. I, I remember, you know, I remember the movie Heat with Al Pacino and, and Robert mm -hmm. De Niro and everybody. Great, great movie, my Michael Mann. But there's a moment when he's talking about, you know, he's, he's in the argument with his girlfriend or third ex wife or third wife or whatever. And he says something like, you know, I just had, he just basically talks about the stress of the job, literally like, I don't bring that shit home. Like, I don't, you know, I saw a mom, a crackhead cook her baby in the microwave because it was crying, you know, or something like that. You know, these guys and you yourself, when you, when you talk about these things and seeing this horror every day, how do you, how do you find that work-life balance? How do you not bring that home to your family? How do you not look at your kids? Well, I, th you know, I think over the, over the years, yeah. I mean, you know, you have to, you know, compartmentalize sometimes and say, okay, this is my work um, state of mind. And then you have to transition into, you know, dad and husband. And, you know, it's easier now because the kids are adults. But you just, you have to be able to, in my case, you know, have your athletic releases and, and to have your 
intellectual releases and, and to be able to, you know, get away from it. I, I've, you know, always been pretty good. I'm sure there's, you know, there's, there's been an impact on me that I don't even realize, but the, you know, generally speaking, I've always been able to transition into, you know, home life and, and uh, ski down a mountain or, you know, go for a run or go to the gym or watch a movie or, you know, do whatever, uh, you know, I'm into at that moment to, you know, get away from it. And, and you just have to, because if you, if you live in that dark world the whole time, you, you know, you get too dark yourself and, and you can't do that. And also, I mean, for me at least, I think it's been the ability to have sort of a dark sense of humor, a gallows sense of humor and to, to even in the, you know, in the Predator investigations, I mean, there are undeniably humorous moments, right? And you have to just 100%. accept that, you know, and, 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 and you do have a dark sense of humor and that's not appropriate with everybody in your circle, but it is a great I'm the most sardonic person I know. <laughs> that's yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, you know, so, uh, was there, what was like the one case and this could, it doesn't have to be Predator, of course. Was there one case that you just were like, fuck, man, I wish that didn't happen. And again, not a predator. Well, case, I, I think, any, you know, you, you're a witness to the truth. Career. You know, there's, there's, yeah, I mean, it, there's, it, you know, look, 9-11, I wish didn't happen. Um, yeah. You know, Oklahoma City bombing, I wish didn't happen. All, all that stuff I wish didn't happen, but it did. And it's like, you know, what I always say is the reporter's prayer. God don't let it happen, but if it does, let me be the first guy there to, to report on it. And so, you know, you go through it. Those things are just as impactful on, on a reporter as, as uh, you know, the Predator series or anything else. I mean, you, you're watching, in the case of 9-11 or the case of Oklahoma City, you know, large-scale death. I mean, even just yesterday morning here in New York City, we had the, yeah. the guy who got on the train with the smoke canisters. And they find him? Shot up him. Not yet. Not as of when I got on with you. I can look right now. But, <sighs> I mean, they know who it is. They've got oh, his they YouTube do. presence. Um, you know, it's obviously somebody who's suffering from mental illness and has an axe to grind with the subway system and the mayor of New York, and he's got some criminal history and and a, and a large scale footprint on YouTube, ranting and raving. And I've looked at some of the videos um, against the mayor, against his crackdown on subway crime and homeless people. And you know, he feels aggrieved oh. by some sort of treatment he received in the New York area years ago, and clearly he had plotted this i mean just because somebody is mentally ill or crazy doesn't make them stupid i mean the guy is a pretty bright sure, guy who's able to pull this off you know and um so they're looking for him i have no doubt they'll find him i mean nypd is the finest law enforcement agency in the world and you know certainly among the biggest and they have cooperative efforts with uh, every other law enforcement agency in the world and they'll, they'll find him yeah I, mean, I don't think he's gotten that far they found his vehicle they found uh, <clears throat> the gun, the credit card, keys to the rental vehicle. So it's just, it's really just a matter of time before they find him. I want, I want to continue on this, but I do want to ask something. You know, there was, you know, you mentioned him on YouTube. Wasn't there a big YouTuber that was just exposed or was taken down that was, that was doing a lot of this predatory activity as well? Well, there, there have been several of them. I mean, or, dozens yeah. and dozens, but the one that we focused on that turned into a documentary on Discovery Plus was a, a guy who went by the name Onision, Gregory oh, James that's Jackson. Right. You guys did that. And uh, sure. he, he was very popular YouTuber and then, you know, got involved in grooming and 
bullying and abusing and, and inappropriately uh, interacting with fans and inviting some of them out to his home in uh, Washington State and there were allegations of sexual impropriety and and just really awful, awful and illegal behavior. And so he came, we started to investigate him and interview some of his victims and, and it turned into um, a big YouTube series on our YouTube channel, Have a Seat with Chris Hansen, and then it turned into a... Uh, a series on uh, Discovery Plus, so it's called Onision in Real Life, and we, you know, we lay him bare for what he is, and ultimately That's YouTube great. demonetized him and, and uh, cracked down on him because he was just the stuff he was doing to to um, young women was horrifying. Uh, but yeah, that's out now, and he's not alone. I mean, there, there's a lot of this. I mean, YouTube has been, in some ways, the great, you know, uh, democratization of you know people having access citizen reporters and creative people. And it's, it's great for a lot of people, but it's also created an opportunity for abuse and predatory behavior. And it's hard to monitor. I mean, how does this not give you anxiety as a parent and your parenting choices, right? Well, I mean, you know, my guys are, my guys are past it. You know, I, I'm lucky. Yeah. My guys aren't, aren't three and four years old. My guys are 30 to 20. So, um, but what would you say to the parents that are dealing with this? Well, as I mentioned, you know, I, I, I think you have to sit down and have a discussion. You know, you have to, you, first of all, you have to lead by example. If mom or dad's on the computer doing nefarious things, you know, it's not going to create a very good example for the children. But you also just have to be very honest and age appropriate in your discussion about the potential dangers out there and what they are and why you have to be careful. And you know, I, I hear all the time, you know, we're, we're on the third generation of predator investigation followers. Um, and it, it's very um, rewarding to me to be walking down a street in any city American, have somebody come up and say, hey, I watched your shows and it helped me not to be cool. the victim of a predator online. And I saw the new one, by the way. Thanks for doing it. I mean, that's why we do it is to, to create that awareness and that dialogue. You ever get anybody that's seen the show that is that is oh, yeah. up to you and said, you know, I, I reformed my ways because I was going down a dark path? Not so much that. We we have people who surface in the that's investigations. That'd be a lot to admit, for sure. Show. Yeah. I mean, I, here's what I do get a lot. It, it, somebody who'll say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And somebody who will, who you wouldn't, how would you know? But somebody who will say, look, I had an unfortunate experience with an adult as a child and you know, your, your series helped me to cope with that. And, and it helped me to know that while my predator was not brought to justice, or maybe he was, um, but to see somebody out there doing something about it has been cathartic to me. And that's very rewarding as well. Yeah. I mean, I get, you know, it's, it's funny when I made the film and, you know, people, people reach out to me and they, some would have circumstances that weren't quite as gruesome and as mine were, but they were, they were bad. And I always tell people, you know, I'm like the extreme, like I'm like the, I'm like the, the Michael, the, the Tom Brady of the extreme drama, like crazy family stuff. But that doesn't mean that there are stories and there aren't ways that these things impact people Oh yeah, that are just as traumatizing. I'm like, my trauma is not bigger than yours. Mine is just such an extreme and crazy example. And my sort of way of dealing with it was 
doing the work that I'm doing, the, the, the film, the podcast, speaking, the TED talk, the this, the that, being on Dr. Phil, sharing my story with people, right? And, but I mean, the overwhelming majority, and when, when I set out to make a murder Mansfield, I was like, I wanna change my, I wanna put this to bed for myself. And I wanna change one, one person's life. Cause there's a kid like me sitting in foster care. Nobody's got his back. He's lost everything. He's, he's in the nadir of his life. And he's literally, you know, got to do the most difficult thing, which is testifying against your parent who has a legal team and who, you know, murdered your mother, but who would also get off and will probably, probably either stick you in the ground <laughs> a few months later, or will make the rest of your life a living hell, you know, and finding the courage to do that. And I wanted to speak to like those individuals, right? Sure. Um, but the overwhelming majority, sadly, is people that have suffered sexual abuse. And obviously they've turned to drugs or violence or crime or whatever it is uh, to cope with all of that. And then they see my story and they just, they're impacted. You know, they're really just like, oh, you really helped me. And I, so, you know, I'm with you when it, it's disheartening as it is to hear people going through this. It's, it's amazing to be able to have an impact for something that you didn't even realize was going to do that. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. I was just trying to do some good. I was trying to make a show. I thought this was interesting. Oh, what the hell, you know, um, it's to be commended for sure. Um, what, like, what have you been through? I think it's you, like, what is your trauma? You know, you know, I've, been, I've had a relatively trauma, trauma-free life. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I, you know, I grew up in a, you know, a, a very upper middle class household, and we were not wealthy, but we had, you know, a, a very good life. And, and I always like to say, you know, I, I got to go to a great high school. Although I, you know, I, I worked in the back of a bakery to pay for half of it. That was a good experience for me. I mean, I, I really, you know, uh, everybody has, you know, little life changes along the way. But you know, I. Honestly, you know, and maybe that's part of what drives me to do the kind of reporting I do is because I feel very fortunate to not have had trauma. We all have loss. We lose parents, but it's, you know, those are all explainable, understandable events in life. Um, life changes as well. But, you know, it, it's it's really I've been a very fortunate guy to have healthy kids and healthy relationships and, and you know, to have a very healthy career and, and to be able to pursue the things that I care about. So. I don't have a base of trauma to work from. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. And it's one that people often ask because I think there's a general feeling that, well, to do this sort of work, you know, was there something that happened to you that sparked you to be an activist journalist in this way? And, and it really wasn't, I mean, it just a sense of, you know, curiosity and, and wanting to do something nobody else has done. And again, to take people to, a place they wouldn't normally see and, and to, you know, get into the head of somebody who could hurt you. And by understanding how all that works, prevent somebody else from being hurt. I mean, that's, that's the drive here. You know, we look at all this stuff, right. And we, we have these moments where we just, we go dark in our own lives and we go, you know, oh, the world is just a miserable place. This is bad. And I, that's one of the things that I just, I always try to be like this perpetual ball of optimism because it's sure. just sort of my nature. They just arrested go, the uh, just, subway you, shooter, by the way. Oh, they did. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's incredible. 
Well, uh, congratulations to NYPD. And nobody, miraculously, no one was severely injured. Oh, killed. yeah. I mean, it, I mean, there were some severe injuries, but not life-threatening. And uh, Yeah, life-threatening is what I mean. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, still the trauma of all of this yeah. is... Well, but, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. you know what it's like being in a subway. You're, uh, um, yeah. you're trapped, and if the subway's moving, you can't get off. Um, yeah, Brooklyn subway shooting suspect Frank James in custody. Well, that's good news. That is good news. Um, you, you know, it's easy for people. I think you know, and you know, we just came out of a pandemic, and then now we're in a war, and we got a financial issue that's looming, and you know, there's just a lot of there's a lot of things going on, and then there's this sort of people taking a hard look at their lives, going, "Is this how I really want to live my life? Whether it's good or bad, right?" But I always try to when people I know have the doom and gloom, you know, what what is the positive we can take from all this? I mean, what do you say to people? Well, I, th yeah. I think, you know, look, tomorrow's a new day. And, you know, I always look at, uh, you know, I mentioned Colin Powell earlier. And, and, and uh, yeah. the, when I interviewed him. For I carry the, his rules for living in my wallet. Well, I have it. There, it's in the next room here, and, here in, in my office. Um, you know, it, it, those are the 13 rules of life as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, really, really, it's it's never as bad as it looked. It'll look better in the morning. And. And uh, yep. perpetual Everyone's optimism, perpetual optimism is a force falls. multiplier. Yep. Force you know? multiplier, yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I, right I, here, I've always been an optimistic fellow. Yeah, yeah. I got it in the next room. Yeah, it's, it's, and I think right there are words to live by. I, I truly do. And, and, you know, you can get down, or you can, you know, you know, you can be in a dark mood based upon what you have to do that day or what you do for a living. But at the end of the day, you know, it, um, you know, we're here for a reason, and, and I think we, we hopefully figure out what that reason is and we do it. And that's, you know, that's a lot. Yeah. Life is still a beautiful thing. There's, yeah, just so, there, there's so much beauty in the world too. And we get lost in this, you know, obviously you're coming from this journalism background and you got into this. I'm always fascinated because I was thrown into this true crime world and, you know, I'm obviously doing the podcast, but it's also about like my journey and my journey has just been, you know, I'm out, I'll see you at CrimeCon in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I've always been fascinated with why people are obsessed with true crime. I mean, we're going to a trade show, a, 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 you know, a conference, whatever we want to call right. a symposium about true crime. Do you, do you feel, or, or what, one, are you astonished by this? Because now 18 years running, it's still the same thing. Wash, rinse, repeat, but people are still fascinated by it, first of all. And second of all, you know, what, why do you think people are so, is it the schadenfreude of the situation? Is it the... Well, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think... It, why are they look, obsessed with true crime? I think everybody likes to be an armchair detective. And I think, you know, it's very uh, interesting to a lot of people to go see this world. This is the same reason why, you know... Movies on crime, mob movies are, are so popular. It's you, you get to see something you don't normally see in your regular life. And whether it's glamorized in a mob movie or it's, uh, you know, it's the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. I mean, all those things are very interesting. And, and I think what we do as, you know, television journalists and filmmakers and documentarians is take people into that world. And I think we do all the dark stuff so they don't have to. And, and I, think, I think, look, until we figure out 
you know, how to solve every crime or how to prevent crimes from happening. It's always going to be a mystery as to the way the criminal mind works, whether it's a predator or a killer or a financial scammer, Bertie Madoff, you know, whatever it is, you know, you can't believe somebody would actually do that or use their, you know, inherent intelligence for evil when they could use it for good. And so that's one of the mysteries of the world. And I don't think it'll ever be solved. And so when we delve into it to take people into that world, I think it's inherently fascinating and entertaining. And so, you know, people are, are, are very interested. It's always been that way. I think we've learned how to harvest it and exploit it, hopefully in a responsible, entertaining way that, that creates a dialogue and, and a discussion and awareness that didn't exist before. And I, I think that's, that's part of why it's so fascinating. Uh, it's always been glamorized a little bit in films, um, you know, Silence of the Lambs, all that. You know, it's, it's, it takes people into an unbelievable world um, that's, that's dark but is entertaining. It's a good point. I never thought about that with the mob movies. I, I was a Goodfellas fan. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, oh, um, you know, Chris Hansen, uh, I, I, I have so much respect for you and the work well, I appreciate you, that. you've done over the years. And I, this has been, um, probably the cool, one of the coolest things I've done since I've started the podcast, you know, a little, little under a year ago. Um, I, I really appreciate your time, man. This is so cool. And thank, shout out to Stephen Cohen. I'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Our man, our man, Stevie. Shout out to Stephen Cohen. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll see you at CrimeCon. We'll see you at CrimeCon. My guest today has been Chris Hansen. Uh, you should check out his podcast. Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen. And uh, that's on all the platforms. The YouTube channel is Have a Seat with Chris Hansen. True Blue launches in the fall so go to watchtrueblue.com and we've got the two documentaries onision in real life and unseemly the peter nygaard investigation on discovery plus fantastic man um thank you so much movers i hope you got something out of this episode wow you know when you think about chris having done this for so so many years and it's just seeing the same thing over and over again. And it's, you know, you never really kind of move past it, but you, I mean, you do in a lot of ways, but it still gets you. It still has those heartfelt moments. I mean, the work that he's been doing for so long is really incredible. Um, and it's humbling. And it, you know, it's like, I remember when I first saw the program and I would see these people and I thought, you know, you know, mental health is such a big part of uh, of society and taking care of yourself and people getting help and treatment. It's not to say that what they're doing is excusable by any circumstance at all. It's not <laughs> at all. I mean, my father was a pedophile, um, but it's, it is very, um, you know, it's very interesting to look at these people with a little bit of compassion and, you know, try to get them help because ultimately you know, helping people move through this obsession that they have 
will ultimately make us better as a society. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm out there and maybe, you know, I'd love to hear what you guys think about this, about this episode, about what you thought, you know, about Chris and how, you know, he's my first really big guest on this podcast. So I'm, uh, I'm really stoked to have him and I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about the interview and uh, what you thought of him. And I will be seeing Chris next week at CrimeCon Las Vegas, which is not my favorite place in the world, but it's still cool. And I'm excited to be there with a bunch of my friends and checking out this whole true crime world that I'm sort of kind of new to. I don't know. It'll be fun. Uh, CrimeCon is from April 29th to May 1st. And uh, so hopefully I'll see some of you guys there. Anyways, I hope you really enjoyed today's episode. I know I did. And um, I'm, I was excited to bring you guys this content. Anyways, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.